y'all. Welcome to Truth's Table, midwives of culture for grace and truth. I'm McCamity. And I'm Christina. This table is built by Black women and for Black women. So welcome to the table, C. How you doing, girl? I'm doing lovely today, E. We have, I think we have moved into spring. I think. I think. Yeah. I think it might be upon us. Yes. <laughs> you see my body roll. Body roll. Ooh, ooh. Um, <laughs> body roll in the spirit. Body roll in the spirit. Body roll in the spirit. <laughs> you know, today was the first day I drove around in my car because my AC don't work. Help me. Help me. Oh, oh, my. I'm oh, so- my. Oh, my. <laughs> I had to roll, you know, he struggled with helpless Lord. Um, I had to uh, roll down my windows today. And I was like, thank you, Jesus. Yeah, that's a sign. I am happy about the warm weather. Mm -hmm. And now tell us, tell us, see, where's M? Where's Michelle at? Where's Carmen San Diego, girl? (laughs) Carmen San Diego. Carmen San Diego is out here working, you know. She is is doing her thing in St. Louis, but really she's working with all kinds of political initiatives even around the country. And so send her uh, uh, warm wishes and prayers for sure, because it's an, an, an important political season for those who are involved with grassroots or local politics or national or global politics. It's just an important time. So we certainly need believers to, to rise up in those places and to bring ethics and courage. Um, and yes. so pray for our sister uh, and the work that she does. All right. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, yes. She shall return to the table soon enough, y'all. Indeed, indeed, she um, shall. <laughs> okay, so, well, you know, y'all know we never leave y'all without a third. Yes. And we got a real super-duper surprise for y'all. <laughs> uh, <laughs> because we have uh, Jeremiah Hopes at the table. Welcome to the table, uh, Jeremiah. Hey, what's going on, y'all? Oh. Hey, y'all hear that bass? Y'all hear that bass? Now, y'all know we don't often bring the men to the table. <laughs> Amen. We have a special, special episode. Special episode with a brother. Extra special. Extra special. There you go. Extra special, y'all. So what is on the table uh, today is we are still in the UOK Sis Mm -hmm. series. And the title of this episode is UOK Sis Misogynoir and Mental Health, Mm -hmm. okay, with Jeremiah Hopes. And so I'm really excited about this episode. And I know it's going to resonate with um, our fellow sisters at the table. But before we jump in, why don't I let y'all know a little bit more about who Jeremiah Hopes is and what he does, okay? Uh, Jeremiah Hopes is a solution-focused thinker, professional counselor, speaker, and author. Jeremiah holds a Master of Science degree in counseling, and he is a licensed professional counselor and a licensed clinical addiction specialist. In 2005, he founded the Center of Hopes, a counseling, speaking, and training organization. In 2015, he co-authored Facing Our Future, Building Strong Black Men in the 21st Century. Mm. Jeremiah provides counseling services to individuals and families and provides professional training to groups and organizations. Jeremiah is a powerful speaker and an engaging storyteller, and his trainings are both interactive and informative. Jeremiah has consulted with the award-winning GAP program and has provided services to a variety of groups and organizations, including the School Nurse Association of North Carolina, the Virginia Department of Alcohol and Beverage Control Board, and the North Carolina Governor's Crime Commission. Welcome to the table, Jeremiah. We're glad to have you. Wow, I am glad to be at the table. It's an honor, honor to be here. So thank you all so much. Yes, yes, yes. Well, my goodness, I have so many <laughs> questions, but um, I, I'm just going to first <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> ask you, 
I'm just going to ask you first because I was like, I got questions about the book title now. Raising Strong, but I mean, we won't get to that question later. Okay. But I wanted to ask you about how you got into uh, your work. What inspired you? What, what led you to become a therapist? Oh, wow. I have, um, I've been thinking about this question. I have three um, experiences growing up that I will mm. point to. And uh, I'll give you this a long version, a short version, and a medium version. So I'll give All you right now. Um, <laughs> when I was in elementary school, to not date myself too much, they had these things called like electives where you would go to like PE or music or art or the library. You know what I'm talking about? I, don't know. <laughs> I recall. I, I, I do recall. I, 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 so you go with all the electives. I was trying not to go <laughs> just, 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 special. just go along with it. We're not. But um, we recall. We recall. But I always find it. I, I, though I enjoyed music and going there and enjoyed art and enjoy PE and all that. Um, I really, really opened up when we had an elective called guidance, and that's mm. when we would go to the guidance counselor's office, and literally everybody would sit in a circle, and we would just talk, and the counselor would ask questions and. I always remember sitting back and thinking, that's why that kid acts that way, because mm. of what they're going through. And so, you know, you never really know what somebody's going through, especially in the, you know, the age of social media, when you can present any image you want. Sure. And you can always be doing great. You can always be doing good. And so that was the first time I remember uh, waking up to the idea that, you know, people are experiencing things that you may never know until you get them in a in a safe place. And that counselor was amazing how she could open them up and how a kid that was the bully of the school would be crying, you know? And so I thought, and I want to know more about that. So that was one of the first mm. experiences. And the second, I was in high school and it was amazing to me how people from all walks of life, um, various races and belief systems would come to me and talk about their problems. They would just talk mm. and I would just listen and listen and listen. I had no formal training. All I would do was listen and, and show right. that I cared and the more you do that, people will come and talk to you more. And so <laughs> right, often right. that would happen. And people would always say, oh, you should be a counselor. You're, you're a great listener and all that kind of thing. And I kind of dismissed it. And I uh, went to school and majored in, co in uh, communication studies. And I wanted to be uh, sort of a communication specialist and work with organizations and mm -hmm. make some money. Mm -hmm. all. Mm -hmm. You know, that's mm -hmm. the bottom line. Um, mm -hmm. I just didn't think it was a lot of money in it. I thought, you know, right. it's just sort of me uh, talking to people and listening and not understanding how you really help somebody. But the, the third part of the story is the, the one that really literally pushed me over the edge. And, and that is when I went out on a date. Mm. Pause for dramatic bum, effect. Bum, bum. Um, <laughs> we, and I'm, this is completely honest with someone who, you know, in my mind, I, I was, uh, had been talking to for a while and felt pretty good about my chances. And so I invited her out on a date and she happily accepted. And uh, we went out on the date. and. Long story short, somewhere in the middle, uh, we were in a car driving somewhere, and she literally looked at me, leaned in, and said, Jeremiah, you are a great listener. And I'm mm. thinking, oh, this is going really well. And then she says to me, do you think I should get back with my boyfriend? Oh, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> and I realized- you know, She was on a therapy appointment. At that point, <laughs> if, I'm, if I'm that good, then I need to get paid. And, and the, there you go. She didn't pay me a dime. So that next day, I went and enrolled in the, the School of Counseling. No lie. <laughs> that is so funny. It's crazy. Yeah, there yeah. you go. A little confirmation yeah. for your spirit. Need to get paid. Need to get paid. <laughs> you 
you go. Get you some money. Get your coins. Get your money. Wow. 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 That that yeah. that's a, but, that's a but, really good story. <laughs> but I think y'all I think y'all met my wife. Mm-hmm, um, we sure did. Yeah. And I, we did. So it, it did work out, praise God. Amen. Come Amen. On. Beautiful Come woman. In the end. Um so so one of the things that we we want to spend some time talking about uh with our time with you today, Jeremiah, mm-hmm. is we want to talk about this idea of misogynoir. And I don't have a Kimini kind of read through a bit more of a textbook definition of that. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I thought, man, what a great an op- opportunity to have an African-American male therapist um, yes. engage in this conversation with us ab- about this topic, about the unique ways in which uh, Black women are kind of ignored or erased or um, demonized, demonized. Um, uh, you know, we we can't be victims of anything. So there's just a long history of tropes mm-hmm. that really impact mm-hmm. Black women mm-hmm. that have a have a real uh, effect on mental health, identity, and just overall wellness and relationship dynamics too. So sure. I want to segue in into that conversation. And Akimini, if you could read that definition, sure. And maybe you and I sure. can even talk about how it hits us, and then certainly mm-hmm. want to bring Jeremiah in. Sure. Yes. Okay. So misogynoir um, is a term coined by Professor Moya Bailey, and it was written about extensively by Trudy, the creator of Gradient Layer, um, who also actually helped expand the lexical definition of the term. So misogynoir is anti-Black misogyny aimed at Black women exclusively. It occurs both interracially and intraracially. Misogynoir is not applicable to non-Black women of color. The precision embedded within the term is significant because it describes a particular interlocking oppression only experienced by Black women. Bailey writes, naming misogynoir was about noting both an historical anti-Black misogyny and a problematic intraracial gender dynamic that had wider implications in popular culture. Misogynoir can come from Black men, white men and women, and even other black women, end quote. And so some of that, that, um, some of that, uh, that quote was also coming from, um, an essay that I wrote about, uh, uh, police, uh, sanctioned violence, um, and how it perpetuates rape culture. And so I, I, I'll include those links as well, but, but that is, um, the definition from, uh, professor Moya Bailey. Wow. Wow. Yes. So, yeah, I, I guess I see. Do you want to talk about maybe how misogynoir hits, you know, how you've experienced it? And I can talk about it and then we can kind of. Yeah, yeah sure. I, I think um, so. I think what this has looked like for me in both uh, in my in my own development, in my own kind of identity as a, as a black woman um, and how it has looked for me in professional context as as a fellow uh, therapist. Um it's just mm-hmm. this really unique dynamic uh, between that I've seen most. I've seen it most clearly between black men and black women, misogynoir. Now, certainly, I think all of the other elements are very true, but I think where it has stuck out the most to me as a person who was a couples therapist is in that dynamic. And I think I've seen it come up mm-hmm. mostly in ways in which black women are asked to um, cover up or overcompensate for um, the abuses of black men. Um, or mm-hmm. the insecurities of black men, or the dis- the legitimate disrespect of black men that black women are are asked to, in some ways, mitigate that, um, and and to kind of ignore their own social suffering, 
to do that. Um, so the assumption that black women are very, very strong and that people can kind of just, well, you just jump on our back, you know, we just, <laughs> whatever. I think that's where I've seen misogynoir express itself the most is that it's been a bit dehumanizing um, and that it has put us in positions to be overly protective in some ways, it's legitimately, rightfully protective of Black men, but sometimes overly protective to the point in which it can cause us self-harm. So that's how I've seen it it work out um, in my own life and in, and in my, my clinical work. Wow. Uh, what about you, Akimini? Well, I think, um, yeah, I've, I've definitely seen that where, you know, especially in race mm-hmm. conversations, right? So um, I think, I guess this could be an explicit example. I'll, I'll give an explicit one and I'll give one that's implicit where, you know, so you're talking about race, um, especially in the church, right? Because this is the context, you know, that, that we all kind of move in and live in. And, and so, you know, the pastor will be male pastor, will be gung ho about race and, you know, and, and equity and all that racial justice and everything. And then when you start talking about gender parity and gender justice um, within the church, all of a sudden that's tabled, that's silenced. Um, you're actually chosen. No, no, let's, let's deal with this first, right? <laughs> let's deal, let's deal with race first. And then, you know, we'll, you know, we'll get to, uh, uh, to, to gender or, you know, or all of those things, knowing that, that will never see, you know, the gender issue will never see the light of day. Right. Um, and so, so that's, um, an example of that where you just have even just blatant, like misogynistic, um, uh, 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 phrases and terms being used, you know, um, by the pastor and you have to choose as a black woman, will I remain here or will I go? Because I can't choose between my, my, um, my, my race and my gender, right? They both matter. Um, and they're both um, glorifying to God. You know, um, I'm, I'm glorifying to God as I am in my body, embodied as a black woman. Then I'd say an ex- explicit example of misogynoir or more explicit would be say um, uh, people that continue to support R. Kelly, right? Mm-hmm. So now uh, Bailey did say that th- this could be black women, black men, mm-hmm. you know, that perpetuate uh, misogynoir. So that's an blatant example of women and men who continue mm-hmm. to still uh, ride for R. Kelly despite the years and years and years, right, of his his blatant rape of uh, black girls. Mm-hmm. So that's a very um, clear and explicit example of misogynoir right there, mm-hmm. I'd say. Mm-hmm. So wow. I would say, yeah, I know that was a lot, right, Jeremiah? <laughs> it's heavy. It's heavy. It's heavy. Exactly. You know that's right. You know that's right. We know you picked it all up. So I mean, so so I guess in light of in light of what my myself and Christina shared, in light of the uh, uh, the definition um, put forth by. Uh, uh, Professor Moya Bailey, who created the term misogynoir, um, and maybe even talk about it in light of you uh, writing this book, co-authoring this book, Building Strong Black Men in the 21st Century. Can you just talk to us about how you've seen uh, misogynoir um, show up and how that might relate to the mental health of of women, Black women who are impacted uh, by it? Wow. Yeah, I will have to begin, uh, first of all, by saying thank you both for, for being honest and sharing that. Um, you know, it's not easy. And so in, in with the, you know, that great example, I, I have to focus on um, sort of how I was raised and mm-hmm. my own misogynistic uh, ways of living and how um, I, 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 t- I literally got up in front of a group of uh, like high school, middle school girls uh, doing a, a, I was speaking at a conference and I said, I am a ladies' man. I've always been a ladies' man. Mm. And everybody's looking around like, what is he talking about? Well, I was mm. raised by a single mother. Mm. I have a younger sister. 
and my mother has five sisters, my aunts, who were very wow. uh, instrumental in how I was raised. And so mm-hmm. I was always around women. And then after I got married, my first child was a girl. And so mm. I've always been around women. And I've always thought that I'm a champion for the, the rights of women, especially black women. And I've, I've been someone who's been, I feel like, an advocate for uh, black women and the strength that, that they have and, and respecting and adoring and honoring them. But I realize now that I really mm. um, have a lot to learn and mm-hmm. have a lot of growing to do. And um, so for me, even, you know, as recent as this weekend um, in my own marriage, I had to come to terms with some things mm. that uh, were just ugly in me. And so, wow. the, the, and by the way, marriage <laughs> will, um, will bring out um, all, you know, if you think you're good and come think on. you're on your way to heaven already. Oh, come on. Come on, brother. Get, Go get married. Get, and, and get, get married, married. And, and really want to be married mm. and be a part of what it means to be married and, and grow, it's going to be hard. You're going you're gonna to see a lot of ugly stuff. But in light of all that, what I would say mm. to, to black men and other men is when mm. you see the ugly stuff, don't run. When you, when you see the, the, the sin in your own heart, um, stay with it. You know, mm. Stay there. Um, mm. That, I think, is uh, the beginning of healing and restoration when you don't run from it or self-medicate it with everything that men self-medicate with and run away from their hearts with, and you know, in many ways, the the book that uh, my, me and my co-author wrote is targeting young black men who don't have mentors and role models, mm-hmm. and we mm-hmm. wanted to write a book that would you know challenge men to step up and be mentors and role models. How do we expect a boy to be a man if he never sees an example of a man? You know, we mm-hmm. we tell boys to be be a man, but uh, never tell him a man or show show him a man to be. And I think that's one of the things that we wanted to focus on in the book. But, you know, in light, in light of that, it's uh, the, the culture tells men and young men and boys sort of this toxic masculine message of to be a man, you have to uh, do certain things and be a certain way. And yeah. I think that that is toxic to uh, the mentality and psyche of a boy thinking that he has to, you know, conquer women, conquer girls mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then brag about it, you know, and th- thinking legitimately that's what it means to be a man. And so uh, all that to say. I know that I personally have contributed to this problem, but mm. the the way out of it, I believe, is first of all, once you learn what it is and you learn the attributes of what it means to be misogynoir, a misogynoir, so mm. then you have to be willing to recognize mm-hmm. when you're doing it and when you're living it out or playing it out mm. and recognize and accept, yeah, I, I made some mistakes, I made some errors. And I think that's where men struggle, uh, the, mm. the ego and the pride of, you know, I don't want to be called mm. out especially if I'm called up by a woman, especially if I'm thinking about sort of this patriarchal mindset that I can't be corrected by a woman. Um, And so for me, my mother, um, it's interesting, my mother, I Mm. wanted to to be the kind of kid my mother never had to correct. And so Mm. I was always, my mother very rarely corrected me just because I was, I was was the oldest child, firstborn, uh, very um, Mm. pharisaical in my view Mm -hmm. of, life, mm-hmm. very older mm-hmm. brother type, you know, using a biblical mm-hmm. reference. And I really mm-hmm. thought I had it all together. I mean, I literally mm-hmm. thought I had one or two sins and I was good. <laughs> I mean, no, for real, right. for real. I really thought wow. I don't smoke, I don't drink, I don't cuss, I don't mm-hmm. do none of this stuff. Mm-hmm. And I don't, you know, I don't go out with girls and women. I don't disrespect them. You know, I, I just go to school, make good grades and, you know, play sports. That's it. And so I really thought that that was, uh, that's who I was and that was good enough. And then, you know, so when a woman does, you know, speak strongly to you um, or to a man, I think it's tough sometimes, mm. especially if you mm. believe that that's not supposed mm. to happen. 
Mm. And I think it makes it harder to accept that I'm, I'm falling short in this particular area. So once you recognize there's a problem, have to be willing to accept when you're actually perpetuating that problem. And then I think the third thing is being able to ask, what do I need to do to begin to make changes and to grow out of that, that problem, if that makes sense. And so yeah. it's, it's a lot of humility involved and a lot of self-correcting mm. and, you know, being willing to accept feedback. Mm. Yeah, no, that's that's really helpful and practical and sobering. I was thinking, Jer- Jeremiah, about a time, the opportunity where we got to actually meet you in person was mm-hmm. when we were speaking at an event several months ago. Mm-hmm. And um, there are people who think of Truth's Table as being a bit uh, punchy at times. No, no I mean, never. that's what people say. <laughs> Of course, I think we're delightful, um, and we are, and we are. But we definitely we we try to be truth table and more tr- a truthful people, and more importantly, point people oh, to for sure. the truth, capital T. Mm-hmm. But yeah, certainly mm-hmm. we you know we we can be a bit uh, uncut, and we work very hard not to suppress our voices at our own table. I'm like it's our table. Hello, um, mm-hmm. that's one of our ways of resisting misogynoir. Um, and but we were at an event and 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 we probably were saying some things that made people uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And um, we we became aware of this after the fact that you actually um, offered gentle correction to um, a man who had kind of minimized and used humor uh, to deflate or to dismiss some of our content. Um, and when I think about your intervention there, um, to me, that's just, it's courageous and it's incredibly, it's simplistic, but this, this act of pushing back onto misogynoir by using who you are in that moment, using influence to resist, right? And we're resisting, you know, I always say we resist for principalities, we win people. So it's not so much about like beating up the other person. But it's about calling out that thing, that dy- dynamic that has been done. And that just leads me to, to really the topic of courage and the way in which and you talked about black men, for example, um, using different things to kind of medicate or um, to, to build some type of stability in terms of their own identity. But I'm wondering what are some of the things that you've seen maybe from clinical practice or research um, that Black men may do that has a direct harm on Black women? Mm. Well, I think, you, you know, you just said one thing is minimizing the voice of the Black mm. woman mm. Um, and then being threatened by their voice and the, mm. and, and the power that it, that it holds as opposed to okay. recognizing it as uh, a companion and a, a team uh, to like, you know, unify, rather than trying to unify the voice, they see the voice as competition and a threat. Yes, yes. And when, you know, we know from you know, our training that when someone perceives a threat, they go into a fight or flight right. mode where they feel like now I've got to self-preserve, self-protect, and then they become very irrational, um, very animalistic in how they, they respond to things. I see that happening very often where uh, a woman, a black woman in particular, may not mean to mean a harm, mean threat, but it's received that way and it's perceived mm. as a threat. And then the reaction is disproportionate in many mm-hmm. ways to what, what happened in the situation. And so yeah, that's that fight or flight mentality. And I think that's, you know, one aspect that we have to, to, to work on. And so you will see, you know, violent outbursts, you'll see um, abuse, verbal abuse, uh, physical abuse and emotional abuse. You'll see uh, that minimization. And in many ways, you'll see this desire to sort of mirror this patriarchal, um, you know, front of what the way things have to look. And I do have to say, you know, one of my, my mentors, um, you know, talks to me a lot about having the courage to, and I may not be saying it the way he says it exactly, mm-hmm. but basically having the courage 
to have your own relationship mm. if you have mm. a significant other. Um, not having to model mm. anybody else's relationship, but having mm. the courage to be yourselves and and live that relationship out the way that you you desire to do so. And that may not look like the patriarchal, traditional patriarchal, you know, viewpoint or standard for what it has to look like. So I think it does take a lot of courage to recognize error, to recognize how my insecurities as a man, as a black man, has pushed down, um, you know, this woman, my woman, or any black woman or a woman who mm. is experiencing this. But I think what you mentioned earlier is one thing to recognize it within yourself and to call it out within yourself, as I've, you know, tried to do within myself. But another thing to when you recognize it happening externally, you know, um, to call it out, if it means confronting another person. And I think mm-hmm. that's what you were, you know, speaking of. I think men have to use, we have to use our voices to when we recognize yes. it and see it happening, then speak to it and, and say what we're feeling, even if we do it imperfectly. And I, and I got feedback from other others about, about what I said. And, you know, there were a few women that would talk to me about it and said, even though you you know, you may have done things, you know, imperfectly. Right. Thank you for doing it. Mm. Thank you for at least right. having, as you say, the courage to speak out. And I think more more men need to do that. We need to, when we are aware and when we recognize and see it happening, speak out. In, in many of the mm-hmm. racial dialogues that I facilitate, I'm always talking to people, white people, the majority about sure. when you see racism, speak out, speak mm-hmm. out against yeah. if you want to be an ally or, you know, to help the cause. And, and then I got to reflect that back to me and other men, black men to say, we need to also speak and use our, our, our voices to to love our sisters and protect our sisters. Yeah, no, I think that's beautiful because um we are we are interconnected um and interdependent. I know it's not cool to say that, but it's true. Um, um and I, I think it is it's I think that's why we remembered um uh part of it, not only that, but we remembered you because we remembered we were like, wow, like wait, he's, he's sticking up for us. Like he's standing in the gap for us, you know? And that was just, it was just something that we don't, we don't often experience, um, uh, uh, you know, other men getting other men together, um, which is, it, it's very important that that happens and continues um, uh, 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 to create a culture, you know, that begins to, to start making a practice you know, of doing that until it's no longer a thing. That's, you know, that's, that's the hope, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm wondering, Jeremiah, um, before we even segue, I'm wondering if you can speak to us about, you, you, talk, you, you mentioned a couple times about um, being willing or able to identify misogynoir within yourself, you know, as a man. I'm wondering how you do that. And then I'm wondering if you can uh, speak to our listeners about how, because um, we do have male listeners as well. We do. Um, how they might, we do. <laughs> Hello, Lots of them. Hello, y'all. <laughs> hey, y'all. We see y'all. We see y'all in the standing room section. Um, um, yeah, yeah, he said, what's up, y'all? What's up, brother? I love it. What's up, brothers? <laughs> I'm wondering if you can talk to our brothers about how they might identify um, that if their misogynoir might be rooted in issues with their mother. And I know in our culture, we don't know, we, we, we don't like to talk about mama. We don't want to say nothing bad about mama. Okay. But, <laughs> but, but the reality is that sometimes a lot of this, not always, is rooted in um, some deep-seated issues with um, 
with their, their mothers that they had not maybe recognized or acknowledged um, or have not verbalized. So I'm wondering how you can, so I'll recap, uh, how is it that you recognize misogynoir within yourself? How can you tell the brothers how to recognize it? And how can they also um, begin to identify if some of the, the root of that misogynoir is rooted in their own issues with their mother? Mm. Yeah, that's, no, that's great. So I think, first of all, brothers, to... To recognize it, you have to know what it is. So educating yourself about what it is and the attributes and when it is presenting itself, what it looks like. And mm-hmm. we gave some examples earlier. And so once you become familiar with what it looks like and what it is, then being able, being open enough to do a self-evaluation of maybe how have I perpetuated that behavior in my mm-hmm. life? How have I demonstrated those same practices? I think that would be the first step. and then. You know, like you said, when you're talking about, you know, your, you know, your mother and mother issues, it, it's very difficult. And a lot of times, to be honest, men don't know until they enter therapy. They don't really recognize mm. the mm. issues that they really have because, you know, think about it. When in day-to-day life are, are brothers walking around talking about their mother issues, their mommy issues? Well. That this is doesn't commonly happen. And it's usually another uh, symptom mm. that brings them into therapy. And then they recognize that maybe that is a core issue. So they may have anger outbursts. So they may have a mm-hmm. drug problem. And that brings them into therapy, whether court ordered or whether just, you know, referred to come to therapy. Then they begin to work through the fact that you know, I, had, I had a deep seated resentment for my mother. You know, I always felt I couldn't please my mother. I always felt I was mm. never good enough for my mother. And then mm. they begin to recognize. So maybe now this is where this is coming from. And then there's various therapeutic, you know, interventions that you can apply, you know, apply, but it really depends on the particular individual. And so I would say being willing to at least do some self-evaluation. And then maybe even, you know, have maybe a therapy session just to do an intro. And, mm. you know, let me just say this, you know, you know I'm not trying to um, push therapy for people that don't need it. But the truth is, I think we all need it in some yes, form or yes, another. And mm-hmm. I, I want to say to to the brothers, especially um, going to therapy does not mean you're crazy. Going to therapy keeps you from mm. going crazy. Well, and that's that's so important to recognize is that there's so many things that, you know, brothers have bottled up. And if we don't begin to get those out in a healthy, in a healthy manner, it's no wonder we go through the, the, the trials that we go through and the behaviors and the way we act out the way that we do, because we haven't really found a safe place to to be vulnerable and to be truthful with those insecurities and those issues that are deeply seated you know, in our hearts. And I'll, I'll just say this. I, mm-hmm. I have a group of men that I meet with every year in, in person. And we do three things during our time together. We eat, we talk, mm. and we laugh. Mm. Eat, talk, laugh. And it's just a time to really be free and be, 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 our, be ourselves and not have the, the responsibilities weighing us down. And then we have something called the hot seat. And that's where we'll mm. take turns sort of getting in the middle of the circle and having our brothers, you know, give us hard, ask us hard questions mm-hmm. and, and peel back the layers of things that we just don't want to talk about. I don't normally talk about. I think it's mm-hmm. something that keeps me healthy. It keeps me um, focused and, and centered and humble. And then, you know, also my, my wife keeps me centered and, and humbled in so many ways. And she's taught me so many lessons about humility, mm-hmm. about faithfulness, um, about being honest and, and being truthful. Um, she, mm-hmm. she tells me the truth. And, you know, these brothers also tell me the truth, even if it, make, even if it makes me cry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or even if it hurts my little feelings. <laughs> but we, we need people in our lives who are willing to tell us the truth. They have a, and I have a mentor that I keep in contact with also that mm-hmm. all, all these individuals 
are, are honest and love me enough to hold me accountable. Mm. And I would say that to my brothers who are listening also. It's invaluable to have that in your life. You don't want a lot of yes men around you. Come on. But it's going to yes. tell you what you want to hear. You need men in your life that are going to be willing to call you out and call out the sin in your heart. That's how you heal. Mm. That's how, that's that's how you change. It's a gift. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, right? Ooh. So, and, and I'm wondering, Jeremiah, mm. if you can talk about maybe how um, faith, how Christian faith specifically, um, in the conversation with misogynora, just just our own development in general, what are some of the ways that you have seen Christian faith um, used in a way that is helpful and harmful around this this mm-hmm. development of I think really what you're describing is kind of healthy, generative, sacrificial black male identity is what you're, it sounds like that's what y'all truth table, y'all get together for y'all retreat. Y'all have food, we need food. Um, <laughs> but but that, that's what that, that's what that feels like to me. Um, and I'm yeah. like, I mean, everybody's that. Oh my God, it's a wonderful thing. Um, and I'm sure somebody's probably listening right mm-hmm. now thinking like, mm-hmm. I'm going to send my husband to that or I'm going to, I want to make one of those up, right? For my friends. But I am curious about what ways you have seen Christian religion used in helpful and harmful ways, um, ways that might um, become, um, ways that we might use it to kind of avoid dealing with our issues or dealing with misogynoir or um, justifying it. Um, So I'm I'm curious about your insights about that. Mm -hmm. Wow. Oh, man. I I think it's Judges chapter 16. (laughs) Um, take us, take us to the text. Oh Lord, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a preacher. I'm not a pastor. But all I know, well, you know, what I mean. I'm, really I'm not going to hoop and holler. Um, but I, I know that's right. So, you know, and I, one of my my, my friends who is a pastor, and uh, he corrected me because I always looked at Samson as um, the victim. And um, go ahead. He was the victim. You know, this is one way I think it hurts us. He was a victim of this temptress Delilah who um, seduced him into, you know, sinning against his God. Well, um, if I'm not mistaken, Judges chapter one, it talks about Samson finding a prostitute and going into her. Is, is that well, right? Well, my, my friend brought it out to me. It's like, you know, he was, so he was like that before he met Delilah. Right. And, mm-hmm. I, and I think when women are depicted in scripture as, you know, these, uh, you know, seducers and temptresses that we have to avoid and run away from. Mm. I think that that hurts. And I think mm. that that hurts hurt men, Christian men uh, in so many ways. And I actually have had an, an evolution of this. I'm, not, I'm kind of grown through this myself because I always, you know, I always believe y'all correct me if I'm wrong. The having sex before marriage is a sin. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's that what the book said. Stand by that at Not the table. Okay, okay. <laughs> I, I, I know. I know everybody else trying to make up some stu- new stuff, but my <laughs> Bible says, yeah. Okay, that's what I was thinking. But anyway, so when I when I was when I was a young younger man, I had that understanding and that belief. So I thought, well, you know, the best way to avoid that is to avoid women. Period. Mm, there you all together. Now, if I don't see them and don't be around, them, I can't have sex with. Them. I can't sin. But I, I, mm. I've learned, so I was in the void. I avoided many, in many ways, and so I realized that that's that's not true. And I, I was challenged by another friend of mine recently. Mm. Um, he called me the weaker brother, you know, because mm. we were in a situation where I was just uncomfortable being around um, mm. some women in the situation. Mm. And he said, "I understand, you know, why you just being, I guess, safe, but uh, it's really they were doing nothing, you know, to make to do, they weren't doing nothing wrong." 
And so for you to want to avoid that, mm. you know, he's like, you know, you realize you are the weaker brother, right? Mm. And I'm thinking, weaker mm. brother? What, what, what are you talking about? Mm. You want me to go to the... I mean, what are you saying? Weaker brother? Mm. I'm just trying to be holy, you know? Mm. Um, but what I learned through that interaction was I humbled myself and again, did my self-evaluation. I listened. Mm. No, those women weren't doing anything wrong. I have the problem. If mm. I if I can't be around them, mm. I, and my mm. wife told me that yesterday, mm. I have a problem. And so if I can't hear certain things, you know, mm. and so recognizing, well, what's my problem? And then beginning to evaluate that. So I think, you know, in hurtful ways, thing the way women sometimes are and depicted is as those who seduce men and cause men right. to stumble, cause men mm-hmm. to fall. No, if you brother, listen to this, brothers, listen. You are responsible for your own holiness, um, your own sanctification process. Mm-hmm. Um, God, the Holy Spirit sanctifies us, mm-hmm. but you're responsible for that. And it's not the woman's fault for how they mm-hmm. dress. It's not the woman's fault for what they say to you. You are a grown man. You're a man of faith. You're a man of God. That's where you go to your brothers. That's where you go to those who are supporting you and recognizing that you, know, you have some some growing to do. You are the weaker brother in some ways. And once I started realizing that, I mean, it's, it's really transformed how I, I've viewed um, relationships with, with sisters, with friends. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, healthy in a healthy way, I think the Bible is really clear because it tells us to look at one another as mm-hmm. brother and sister. Yeah. And I do have a biological mm-hmm. sister. And so that's not a far reach for me to be able to do that. And, I, and I've always looked at, at my sisters mm-hmm. that way. Um, but I think just realizing that I don't have to avoid, but build up and protect and and seek to protect, not that you're un- incapable of mm-hmm, protecting sure. yourself, mm-hmm. but it's just that when I have a, a platform mm-hmm. to do so, then that's an opportunity for me to to practice that. So I think what we, we experienced when we were together um, at the um, yeah. uh, earlier this year was me, you know, growing mm-hmm. in this manner and recognizing that I do have a voice and I do want to be a part of the solution and I don't want to continue to be a part of the problem and I'm not going to mm-hmm. do it perfectly. I'm going to make mistakes and I'll have to be willing to do that and willing to get back up and keep going, going forward. Yeah, yeah. And it was, right, I was going right. to say, it was, it was and good seed that was sown. I mean, I, the, if people want to know the conclusion of that, our yes. dear brother you know, apologized to us and, and mentioned mm-hmm. that publicly as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just shows the impact of, of, of words and courage in that moment on behalf yes. of someone else. And so we appreciate it. What were you going to say? We do. Yeah. And I just hear a lot of humility um, and a lot of um, what you're, you're saying, Jeremiah, about I might not do it perfectly, but it has to be done and you're doing it and you're stepping in learning, um, examining yourself and seeing the ways, you know, that it manifests. I think that it takes great humility. Um, and I think all Christians, we all should be characterized um, by humility, right? After our humble, mm-hmm. our, um, our humble savior. So I think that's just um, a beautiful trait um, in all of us, but it's definitely very humble and, and very beautiful to see in a man, right? Um, because toxic masculinity says, no, machismo is the way, ego right. is the way, pride right. is the way, right? It says the exact opposite, <laughs> you know, of what Jesus modeled for us. So I think that's beautiful. Um, so I just, and just for the last moments that we have together, I do want to segue a bit and just ask you about, um, just about, you talked you talked about the importance of therapy, right? Um, and I'm wondering if you can, you know, because a, a lot of our listeners are Christians, right? So we're all Christians here at the table. And I'm wondering if you could talk to us about, now I'm not, I'm not a therapist, I ain't a counselor, so this is a very elementary question. I'm wondering two things. If you can um, talk to us about the differences between biblical counseling and therapy, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. And then for people that are in biblical counseling, 
how can they discern or determine when it's time for them to move from biblical counseling to therapy? Is there a way to to discern that um, and to determine that? So can you talk to our listeners um, just about those two issues there? Sure. So so biblical counseling or Christian counseling is simply mm-hmm. focused on the scripture as the, mm-hmm. the means for healing and restoration and for finding life. And a counselor would work someone through scripture and sure. remind them of scripture and continue to have them built up in, in, in the scripture and have them focus on, on their relationship with Christ. And so that would mm-hmm. be sort of biblical counseling, which I think we need as part of mm-hmm. the holistic approach. But there are times when, when I have so many Christians that have come to me in my practice over the years and saying, look, I, I, I memorize scripture, I pray, mm-hmm. I fast, I pay my tithes and my offerings, and oh. I just can't get right. <laughs> right. I just can't get right. Mm-hmm. And that's when you may have something, you know, chemical, a chemical imbalance in your brain um, mm-hmm. that may need further evaluation. And I think that's when you make a transition when no matter what you seem to do with scripture, no matter how you focus on Christ and on reminding yourself of the truth, you, you still have these symptoms. And I think mm-hmm. that's the time when you may need to make a transition and, and at least get a consultation with a therapist who can maybe you know point you in a different direction if you need what we call the psychotropic medication. Mm-hmm. If there really is something going on with the dopamine or serotonin levels where you know you can remember our scripture and then two seconds later, it's washed out by, you know, a mood of, mm-hmm. of sadness and mm-hmm. not understanding why. And I also would caution our Christians not to feel guilt or shame in, in seeking therapy outside mm-hmm. of the, the biblical context, mm-hmm. because that's part of the holistic approach. I believe the holistically God gave us therapists. God gave us mm-hmm. his word. God gave us friends. God gave us mm-hmm. so many outlets for, for health and for healing. I think we have to focus on all that God gave us. And I think sometimes uh, a secular or non-biblical therapy um, can be uh, the key to that. And I'm a Christian and I'm a counselor. And that's how I, that's how I tend mm-hmm. to, to uh, you know, approach it is that I'm a Christian. And so I can use scripture. We can walk through scripture and talk about how Christ has redeemed us, saved us and healed us from the mm-hmm. curse of the law. And at the same time, use other interventions that the person that may be helpful for a person along with the biblical uh, perspectives mm-hmm. also. Mm-hmm. That's great. So, I mean, I, yeah, I think that it's helpful for people to be able to grab a hold that, you know, all truth is God's truth. And um, it is a credit mm-hmm. to God's glory and creative genius that, w- that, um, that knowledge can be given to people from a variety of religious and cultural backgrounds that we are able to benefit mm-hmm. from. Um, so I, I think Christians, we... We don't have to be intimidated by different disciplines and uh, diversity of thought because mm-hmm. all good things come from the Lord and all truth is ultimately God's truth Amen. as well. And I think that's incredibly important. And I, and I also think when I when I think about people who've experienced maybe the source of their abuse is within the church or a part of their presenting mm-hmm. issue is related to uh, spiritual abuse, some religious figure, and some type of trauma, okay. then then th- that type of approach mm-hmm. actually can reinforce the trauma that they have, uh, one that doesn't mm-hmm. kind of meet them where they are. And the, and the hope is, of course, to journey somewhere together. Um, but um, yeah, just to be really wise about that, I think it's a great, great insight, um, Kimmy. So, so I know that we're going to have mm-hmm. all kinds of people um, chiming in, thinking about uh, the content from today. They're, they're gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna have thoughts. Yes, yes. They are. 
They're going to have thoughts and opinions and feelings about this. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And, so and I'm curious about if you, if we could talk a little bit as we conclude about um, this, the relational dynamic. And you've mentioned marriage or partnership mm-hmm. or uh, yeah. family dynamic, um, friendships, and the ways in which it triggers kind of our mm-hmm. core issues. And I'm wondering if you may be able to offer some suggestions mm-hmm. or some next steps, particularly to our sisters, um, about um, getting their needs met um, around experiencing misogynoir um, and, you know, where to go with mm-hmm. that, how to voice that um, and in order that they can continue to be whole and healthy and heal. Mm-hmm. Wow. So I think the work that Truth's Table does is so important because, you know, the table has given women an outlet, an opportunity to hear and to speak. And I think that's, a, I think, so keep doing this and mm, more opportunities for, for this happening. Um, and mm, I've, I've been, absolutely. And I've you. been involved with men's, uh, men's retreats mm. that have focused on this topic, um, based, you know, exclusively. Mm. And I think mm. more of that is important. And I think women uh, supporting one another is important. And I think obviously brothers, I have to speak to the brothers as well. It's, you know, when you recognize this in yourself or those around you being willing to be a voice and, and to speak, uh, forward and then within our relationships, um, being willing to humble ourselves as we already we know mm-hmm. through scripture that we mm-hmm. do that, but practically, sometimes it's really hard to do that. It's really hard to mm-hmm. humble ourselves, I think. So, you know, staying in those relationships as hard as they may be and humbling ourselves and then creating more public platforms where these issues can be talked about with, you know, honesty and, and boldness, I think is very important. Mm, thank you for that. Thank you for that. Thank you so much, Jeremiah. Well, you know what? This is it's been really an honor and a pleasure to have you um at the table. And you know, before you go, before you get up from your your, your seat, brother, mm-hmm. please tell our <laughs> listeners how they can um follow your work. Please tell them how they can join in and you know, just learn more about what you're doing and, and follow you if sure. if if you're on the socials, you know. Yeah, yeah. This is your time. I'll talk about it in a minute. But the web, let's start with my website. Let's start with the website. It's mm-hmm. uh, centerofhopes.com. Um, you can find information about the, the book and information about any trainings that I'm doing or any events that I have going on. So the website, um, centerofhopes.com. And then I'm on uh, Instagram as Jeremiah Hopes and Facebook okay. as the Center of Hopes. Uh, another are good ways to follow me as well. I am working mm-hmm. on a uh, program that I haven't made public, but I am working on a program. So please stay in t- you know, stay tuned uh, to those mm, awesome. media outlets for All that right, as well. Stay tuned. Stay um, tuned. So yeah, so uh, com and then uh, Instagram and Facebook. Awesome. All right, all right. He's working on a program. I guess we can't get the exclusive. Sorry, <laughs> oh, yeah. Sorry, not yet. Good luck. Not yet. Good luck. But, I like, but look, I'm, but I'm sure it's something that we need because clearly, exactly. <laughs> I was like, Lord, let him drop the exclusive. Amen. Let him drop the exclusive. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Look, no, it's all good. Look, we, we gonna start sending brothers to those uh, man retreats. You're like, I, look, yes. we gonna start taking up offerings and sending them away. That's right. Yes, because look, this, this series is you okay, sis? But 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 honestly, implicitly, the question is, you okay, bro? Uh, amen. Amen. Are you okay, brother? Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and that's and that's because we're community. And Kimmy, you did a nice job of talking about the interdependent and interconnectedness mm-hmm. of of people to each other. It yes. is not good for man yes. to be alone. So humanity has got to be in relationship. And when one part of the body is hurting, the rest of the body feels it. Mm-hmm. If I stub my pinky toe, my whole body hurts. <laughs> so, yep. um, so yep. this this is important to not think about ourselves. We we are really attentive 
um, to centering Black women's voices. He make no apologies for that. But we don't do that naively. We know we are interconnected to other people. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm thankful for this opportunity for us to have a, a kind of a more communal focus today. Me too. Me too. Well, we want to thank you, Jeremiah, for taking a seat at the table with us. Thank you so much, brother. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. And of course, we want to thank our sisters who are at the table with us this week. And I'm going to give a special shout out to the brothers because I know y'all here. I see y'all. I see y'all in the standing room. I, I hear you. I hear you hooping. Um, let's keep the conversation going. Tweet us your thoughts about UOK Sis Misogynoir and uh, mental health uh, using the hashtag Truth Table. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Truth Table or email us your thoughts at asktruthstable at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate and review the show on iTunes and subscribe on your such on, on the favorite podcast player. Truth Table has a Patreon account, y'all. So now you can send your love offerings to www.patreon.com slash truthstable. Or you can bless us at PayPal, which is www.paypal.me slash truthstable. Table. Um, don't forget, we have intercessory prayer on Tuesday night um, for the UOK Sis series for our Black women. Okay, so on Tuesday night at 8 p.m. from 8 p.m. Eastern to 8:30, we will be on the phone line praying to God um, specifically about misogynoir because that is the theme of this right. episode. Okay, and uh, remember that Truth Table is made possible in part by Pottery Studios. Visit Pottery.com for the highest in quality online audio entertainment. Our producer for the show is Joshua Heath. Our executive producer is Bo York. And we have been your hosts, Akemini, Michelle, and Christina. We'll see you soon on the next Truth Table. Bye, y'all.